Well, good morning. It is good to be here with you this morning. I uh, bring greetings from Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary and Inner City Baptist Church. We'll, we're thankful for you, our sister church here, and the ministry that you have, and looking forward to opening up God's Word together this morning. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have given him to us, that he is in us if we are yours, and that he is working to make us like your son. And I pray that as we look at your word this morning, that your spirit would do that work in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever encountered a bad driver on the road? Now, don't look next to you right now. You're driving along, and all of a sudden, someone just whips past you, going super fast, and you think, what are they doing? Don't they realize how unsafe that is? Don't they understand? They need to be going with the flow of traffic, or you're going along, and all of a sudden, someone's just creeping on the highway, and you slam on your brakes, and you think, what are they doing? Don't they know they should be following the flow of traffic? Isn't it nice as good drivers that we always follow the flow of traffic? And unless, of course, we have a really good reason not to, then maybe we wouldn't. Have you ever encountered a bad person in this world? My sons, Pastor Ken mentioned earlier, unfortunately they couldn't be here this morning, uh, but they are uh, really into trying to figure out who the bad guy is whenever we're reading a story or, or watching a movie. And is that the bad guy, Dad? Oh, I think that's the bad guy. And sometimes it's, it's, they help you out quite a bit. You know, they make the bad guy look really dark, or they have scary music when he comes on, and you kind of figure out that's the bad guy. And then there's the good guys who are fighting against the bad guys. And it's like that in stories in many ways because we feel like it's like that in our world. There are bad people in our world, aren't there? When there are people who, who rape other people, there are people who kill other people. There are people who abuse people physically and sexually. There are people who, who steal. There are people who destroy things. We recognize there are bad people in our world. And those are the bad guys. So what does that make us? We're the good guys, right? Well, I want to look at a passage this morning in which Jesus talks about two kinds of people. And I think that's going to help us to understand the kind of perspective of who's good and who's bad in our world. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 9 of Luke 18. In this passage, Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem, preparing for the time in which he's going to, to face crucifixion. And he's just gave instruction to his disciples in part for what they need to be doing in preparation for what's going to come after. And he just gave a parable in which he said, you're going to need to pray a lot. You need to make sure you continue to pray. And then in, in verse 9, it actually says he also told this parable. Um, and I think that also there is pointing to there's some connection between verse 9 and what came before that. One connection is Jesus is going to talk in this parable about, about people praying. But I think actually the greater connection is in light of the question he gives right at the end of the previous parable in verse 8. He says, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
And this parable that he gives now, beginning in verse 9, is in part to answer that question. Who will God find faithful when he comes? And so what is this parable? What Jesus describes in verse 10, two people. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you're probably familiar with this story. It's the the Pharisee and the tax collector, or some of you may have known it from the King James translation, the Pharisee and the publican. It's a pretty famous story. And if you know anything about Pharisees, you know we don't like Pharisees. Pharisees are bad people. But that's not what anyone would have thought in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, when they would have heard about Pharisees, they would have thought, well, those are the good guys. Those are the people who are doing their best to honor God and to obey his law. Those are the kind of people we want to be like. And the second person that Jesus mentions is a tax collector. And in Jesus' day, everyone would have immediately recognized, well, that's the bad guy. Because the tax collectors were one of the most hated people in Jewish society. They were wicked, sinful people. They were in many ways synonymous with sinners. And that's in part because of who they were. That the Jewish people were under Roman occupation. And the Romans were taxing the Jews, and often they would subcontract that out to other people. And so these tax collectors were often Jews. We know this tax collector was certainly a Jew because he was going to the temple. And so these were Jews who were aligning themselves with the enemies and the oppressors of the Jewish people. And more than that, tax collectors were well known for taking more than they needed to, cheating others, stealing from them, and extorting them. And so when people thought of tax collectors, they thought these are some of the worst people on earth. And we even see this kind of thing described in the Gospels. You might be familiar in Matthew 18, in which Jesus is laying out how the the church would ultimately deal with unrepentant sinners. At the end, after they go through the process of, of confronting them, and they tell it to the whole church, and the person still refuses to repent, Jesus says, let that person be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Basically, look at that person and say, there's no way they're trying to follow God. They don't know God. They're rejecting God. Or in Luke 15, just a few chapters earlier, it says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, the first verse, Luke says tax collectors and sinners. But in the second verse, the Pharisees don't feel any need to distinguish between those two people. They're all sinners. Because that's what tax collectors are. And we actually can get some sense of how despised tax collectors were just in understanding how Jews uh, treated them. This is from one commentator talking about this. A Jew who collected taxes was a cause of disgrace to his family, expelled from the synagogue, disqualified as a judge or witness in court. The touch of a tax collector rendered a house unclean. Jews were forbidden from receiving money, including alms, from tax collectors, since revenues were deemed robbery. Jewish contempt of tax collectors is epitomized in the ruling that Jews could lie to tax collectors with impunity, because essentially they weren't really even people. And so Jesus describes two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector, and in some ways it would be as if he said in our day, two men went to the church, one a Bible teacher and one a drug lord. Or two women came to church, one a nun and one a madam. Two people, a Pharisee and a tax collector. 
And he describes them as going up to the temple, and we'll describe them as well uh, in verse 14. Actually, I don't think it shows up in your translation, but it talks about going down because the temple's on a mountain. So they're going up the mountain to the temple. We don't know when they came. There were two designated times of of prayer and sacrifice typically at the temple, one at 9 a.m., one at 3 p.m., that they could have come at those specific times, or perhaps they could have come at another time simply to pray. And the Pharisee we find in verse 11 is standing, and there's nothing strange about that. That was probably the normal position to pray in those days. He's standing, and he's praying. Now, it says there that he is stood by himself and prayed. You might have a translation that instead says, uh, prayed to himself, because there's some debate about exactly what's being said there. I think actually the best way to understand it is to say the Pharisee stood and prayed about himself, because that's what we find he's about to do. He begins, again, pretty well. He said, God, I thank you. And I think that's pretty good. Recognizing his dependence on God. He's, he's expressing thanks to God. That, that's one of the most important things people are supposed to do. And yet we recognize pretty soon that he's not really thanking God. He's just kind of giving a little pious veneer to what he's about to say. It's, if I can say it this way, if he was going to be posting on social media, he'd start, I'm humbled, and then go on. Or hashtag blessed. And then go on to describe how great he is and his life is. Because what does he go on to do? He goes on to say... I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. He says, I'm a moral man. I'm a good person. I'm not a swindler. I don't extort others. I don't rob from others. I don't take advantage of them. I am not an evildoer. I'm not unjust. Just kind of a general description of, of people who are wicked. And I am not an adulterer. I am faithful to my family. And I'm certainly not just like this tax collector because I know as a tax collector, he's a sinful person. And I'm not. I'm a moral person. And I'm a religious person. Verse 12, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Fasting was really only required once a year in the Jewish law on the Day of Atonement. Over time, it became common to fast on other Jewish holidays. But but many Pharisees in particular started fasting twice a week, typically on Mondays and Thursdays. And so these were voluntary fasts. This wasn't even required by the law. The Pharisee is going over and above the law. And I think the same thing's true when he says, I give a tenth of all I get. The tithe was required on what you produce. It seems that he was potentially also giving a tithe on perhaps what he bought or what was given to him. Going over, uh, above and beyond what God required. And he said, he's a moral man and he's a religious man. And we hear that, and we, I think, would tend to assume, well, obviously, he's lying. Because he's not a moral man or a religious man. Pharisees are bad people. But I don't think he is. There's no indication anywhere in this passage that anything he says there is wrong. He probably is a very moral man. He probably is a very religious man. He's the kind of guy you'd want as your neighbor. He's the kind of guy you'd want to see in public office. He's the kind of person you'd look at and say, man, that's a good guy. He's not a hypocrite. It's not that he's actually evil and doing a bunch of really bad things in our eyes and, and yet you know, lying about it. This is all true. So what's the problem? Well, go back up to verse 9. Jesus isn't talking about hypocrites. Who's he talking about? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. What's the problem? The problem is the Pharisee is confident of his own righteousness. 
the Pharisee looks at himself and thinks, I'm pretty good. Which is why you look through his verse, it's all I and active verbs. I'm like this. I'm not like this. This is what I do. And so the Pharisee stands there in the temple and thinks, God, I know you accept me because look at who I am. I'm a good, moral person. And Jesus is not making up this kind of prayer. It's not some kind of straw man or caricature. We actually have other accounts of prayers of Pharisees that that sound similar in a lot of ways. There's one Pharisee who who gave the prayer who said, if only a hundred people are to be saved, God, I know me and my son would be among them. And if only two were saved, I know it would be me and my son. Or another Pharisee said this, I thank you, Lord, my God, that you assign me a portion with those who sit in the synagogue and not with those who sit on the street corners. For I rise early and they rise early. I rise early to attend to the word of Torah. They rise early to do vain things. I work hard and they work hard. I work and receive a reward. They work and receive no reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come. They run to the pit of destruction. So the Pharisee was confident in himself. He was trusting in himself for his righteousness. And when you do that, inevitably you do the second thing that Jesus talks about here. Look back at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Because what does the Pharisee say in his prayer? I thank you, God. First of all, I'm not like other people. There's other people out there. I'm not like them. I look down on them. And I think we even see that in some ways with his description of when he says, I'm not even like this tax collector. And I can't say this for certain, but I think on some level it's probably a this tax collector. It's a kind of description that you find in the, in the parable of the prodigal son. After the prodigal returns and the father goes out to the older brother who's, who's upset and he says, what's wrong? And he says, you know, I've been here all this time and you never killed a fattened calf for me. But when this son of yours returned, this is what you do. Because when you begin to think of yourself as good, you tend to look at others as not as good and you look down on them. And we do this all the time. We are constantly dividing ourselves from other people. On a simple level, we do that just in sports teams. I'm for this team. I'm not against this team. But even more broadly, I'm a civilized person. I'm not some uncouth barbarian. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'm not one of those lawbreakers. I'm an educated person. I'm not ignorant like other people. I'm a rational person. I'm not driven by emotion. I'm a discerning person. I don't get sucked in by conspiracy theories. I'm a tolerant person. I'm not a bigot. And what we do is once we begin to define ourselves against other people, we start to say they're not good and they're bad. Because if I'm not them and they're bad, what does that say about me? I must be good. And so we despise those. And you might say, you know, you're right, Ben. That's a, that's a big problem. And that's why I don't do that. I, it's, so, it's so crazy to divide the world between two people like that. I'm not one of those people. And what did we just do? The exact same thing. I'm not like those people who divide the world up. And we constantly find ourselves falling into this trap of saying, I'm not like those bad people. I am better than that. There's a second person in this parable. The person that immediately everyone would think, well, of course, he's a wicked, terrible person. The tax collector. What's the tax collector do? Go down in verse 13. 
but the tax collector stood at a distance. We don't know for sure where the Pharisee's standing, but, but certainly it seems that he would probably be standing kind of towards the middle and the front. Because as he's there, he's like, I mean, this is my place. I belong here in the temple. But the tax collector recognizes on some level, I, I don't belong here. And so he's standing at a distance, feeling as though, I, can I even come into a place like this? And what does he do? He would not even look up to heaven. And I think it says we not even look up to heaven. I mentioned earlier the most common way to, to pray is standing. And I think probably the most common way is, well, to pray with your hands lifted in some kind of way, if you think about kind of the descriptions in Scripture. And so it would be very common for a Jew to, to stand and, and pray, lifting up potentially his head and his hands to heaven, asking for a blessing from the Lord. But the, the tax collector couldn't lift up his hands because he couldn't even lift up, lift up his head. His head was just hanging in shame, and he is beating his breast. And that's a sign of, of sorrow and remorse and grief and contrition. And, and the language really has that idea of he's just repeatedly doing this. He's standing there with his head down, beating his breast. And what does he say? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisee's prayer was filled with words of action that he did. The tax collector's prayer was a passive request. God, would you do something for me? And notice how he describes himself, a sinner. And you might have a translation that I think is probably a better translation, the sinner. The Pharisee stood there and said, God, I know I'm not like other people, and I'm so glad for that. And the tax collector stood there and said, you know, God, I don't know about anyone else. If there was no one else in the world, I know this, I'm a sinner. There is no doubt in my mind I have fallen short of your glory. I am the sinner. And what does he ask for? God, have mercy on me. Now, mercy is a wonderful concept in Scripture. Typically, mercy, the word for mercy, is, is used to describe a pity or compassion that you have on those who are helpless and weak. But that's not actually the word that the, the tax collector uses here, that Luke uses here. He uses a word that's only used one other time in Scripture as a verb. And I want to read it to you. It's in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful priest in things pertaining to God. Here's the word. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. What does propitiation mean? Propitiation means that God has wrath against me as a sinner. And in some way, I need to satisfy that wrath and get it turned away from me. And so the tax collector is saying, God, would you be propitious toward me? Or as the Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it, God, would you turn your wrath from me? I mentioned we don't know when he was there, but there's a decent chance he actually came at the time of the sacrifices, the daily sacrifices that were made. And at the minimum, he knew this is the place where the sacrifices are done. And so he's standing there at a distance, not lifting up his head and saying, God, I, I deserve your wrath. I need atonement for my sin. I need something to pay for my sin. Would the sacrifice that is being made here, would it count for me? 
Could this pay for my sin? Could this make atonement for my sin so that you would turn your wrath away from me? And in verse 14, we find the conclusion to this parable. I tell you, and Jesus here is, is highlighting, I think, on some level the significance of this, but he's also saying this is the truth. This is the ultimate result. And you know what's fascinating? What he's actually going to tell us is this is God's judgment on this matter. Now, how would Jesus know that? And the answer is, well, well he's God. And so he's able to give us God's judgment on this issue. And what is God's judgment? I tell you that this man, who? The guy I just talked about, the tax collector. This man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Justified means he was declared righteous. That his sin was paid for. That God was now propitious towards him. He had turned his wrath away from him. And so his prayer was answered. He was declared righteous before God. And he went home in this way. It happened immediately. You know what's interesting? Jesus sets a pretty strong contrast between the two. This man rather than the other. The tax collector stood there and said, God, the, the, the Pharisee, the Pharisee stood there and said, God, there's that tax collector. I know I'm not like him. I'm over here. And Jesus said, you're exactly right. You're not like him. Because he's justified and you're not. Why? For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. That those who trust in themselves will be humbled. It may happen on, on some level, even in this life. You might have someone who, who prides themselves on their morality, and yet the scandal comes out, and they fall into sin. And their, their supposed reputation for being a good moral person is completely undermined. Or you have someone who prides themselves that they are able to get the job done. They have the skills, they have the ability to do it, and then they fail miserably. And as long as that's what we are priding ourselves in our life, there's always that risk that we are going to fail or someone else is going to be better. And so what we are constantly going to be doing is we're going to be saying, that person is not as good as me. That person isn't as skilled as I am. That person is below me. I'm better. And as long as we live here, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that. Because we're looking around ourselves at other people. But one day, we won't be able to do that anymore. One day, we're going to be looking up there. And we're going to realize we're not better. We're not good. We're not righteous. The standard was not anything that we could meet in ourselves. The standard's not, am I better than other people? The standard is, am I perfectly holy as God is holy? And if we do not meet that standard, we will be humbled. That humbling will occur as we are separated from God for all eternity in hell. The flip side is true as well. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who humble themselves, like this tax collector, those who say, I am the sinner and I deserve nothing from you, God. But would you show me mercy? Would you turn your wrath for me? And you will be exalted. And what does exalted mean? Well, it means, first of all, justified. That you will have your sins forgiven. You will receive grace from God. But I think it means even more than that. 
Because ultimately, those who are justified will be with God forever in heaven. The tax collector is standing there in the temple, and there's this sense that says, I don't even belong in a place like this. And God says, you don't. But I'm going to change you. And when I change you, you're not going to belong in a place like this. You're going to belong in my very presence for all eternity. Because when you humble yourself, you will be exalted. So I say it this way. There are two kinds of people in this world. But it's not the good and the bad. There are no good people in this world. Jesus was the only good person. Everyone in this world is bad. But there are two kinds of bad people. There are two kinds of wicked, sinful people. And what's the distinguishing mark between them? There are those who don't see their wickedness and continue to trust in themselves, and they will be humbled. And there are those who recognize their wickedness, humble themselves before God and ask for mercy. And what happens to them? They are forgiven and then exalted. But because of how you move from here to here, you know what you can't do? You can't look down on those people. Because why are you here? It's not because of who you are. It's not because you're smarter. It's not because you were better. And you can't say, I'm not like you. Because essentially what you're saying is, I'm exactly like you. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ can you have two things that are true exactly the same time. You can say at one moment, I am the sinner and I am the righteous one. Because what happened to this tax collector? Jesus said he went home justified. It's not because, and the tax collector got his life turned around and he started doing things better and eventually one day he became justified. That's not how it happens. He is the sinner. He's a terribly wicked person who deserves God's wrath. And then at the same time, when God justifies him, he is both sinner and righteous. And so we stand here and don't say, I'm not like you. We actually say, I'm exactly like you. And in some ways, I'm worse than you are. But God did something incredible for me. And he can do the same thing for you. You just have to humble yourself before God. And so I ask you this morning, do you think you are good? Maybe as you've thought about some of the people I've talked about, you said, you know, Ben, I, I know I'm not good, but I know I'm not that bad. I'm not like some of those people you talked about. I have my faults, but I'm not as bad as they are. And I would warn you, as Jesus warns you today, do not exalt yourself. Because one day you will be humbled. And one of the, you know what the most sobering truth is? When the Pharisee went home, what did he think? I'm justified. Not that tax collector. And perhaps you've been here at this church for years. And you come here and you stand and you think, God must love me. I've been baptized. I'm a moral person. I come here week after week after week. And week after week after week, you go home unjustified, facing God's wrath. And Jesus is warning you today, don't do it again. Stop exalting yourself. Stop putting confidence in your own righteousness. Humble yourself before God today.
So I ask as well, do you know today that you are bad? Do you see yourself and say, you know, I'm like that tax collector? Or maybe even more challenging, I'm like that Pharisee. I have a tendency to think I'm better than other people. Or perhaps we could put it this way. Do you believe today that in yourself you deserve hell? Because if you do not believe that, then that's exactly where you're going. Because you have not yet humbled yourself before God. But the great news is, if you do humble yourself, and you do recognize, I am the sinner, there's mercy. You can be forgiven. And if you've done that, you know, I've been forgiven. I've been justified. Yes, I deserve God's wrath in myself, but God's wrath has been turned away from me because even where sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. And so if you say, that's true for me, I I was a wicked, sinful person, and now I've been forgiven, then how do we view those people over there? What should we think of others in our day who are wicked, sinful people just like us. Far too often we tend to think like Jonah, God, why don't you kind of give them what they deserve? Instead of saying, man, I'm so glad God didn't give me what I deserve. I'd love for them not to face that as well. Two men came to church One a social justice activist, the other a neo-Nazi white supremacist. The activist prayed, God, I thank you. I am not like the patriarchal oppressors, homophobes, the ignorant, or even this racist neo-Nazi. I am woke. I work to better society for everyone. Two women came to church. One a compassionate pregnancy director, the other an abortion doctor. Compassionate Pregnancy Director prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like pro-choice politicians, murderers, or even this abortion doctor. I provide care for struggling women. I saved the lives of unborn babies. Two men came to church. One a Bible church deacon, the other a Muslim terrorist. The deacon prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like atheists, drunkards, immoral people, or even this Muslim terrorist. I love God and country. I go to church every week. But the neo-Nazi white supremacist, the abortion doctor, the Muslim terrorist, sat in the back corner of the auditorium, shaking and weeping with their head in their hands and prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, be merciful to me and turn God's wrath from me. And Jesus would say to you today that it was that neo-Nazi white supremacist, the abortion doctor, and the Muslim terrorist who went home right with God and not the others. Because it is the communist and the Nazi, it is the socialist, it's the capitalist, it's the Democrat, the Republican, the libertarian, the faithful family man, the playboy, the philanthropist, the greedy corporate executive, the war hero, the spy, the serial killer, the cannibal, the sex offender. All of those people can go home justified 
if they humble themselves before God and seek his mercy. And if you think, Ben, I don't think all those people should be lumped together, I would say that's what the Pharisee would say as well. Because no one, no one can trust in themselves and hope to be exalted in the end. But anyone, anyone can humbly trust in Jesus and find forgiveness. There's only one good person who ever lived, and that is Jesus. Everyone else is either a bad person who remains unforgiven or a bad person who has been graciously and mercifully forgiven. So has God today been merciful to you, the sinner? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to see us, to see ourselves as you do, to see us in ourselves as lost and hopeless, to not think that we are better than others in any way, but that as well if we are in Christ that we know now you, you see us as perfect and righteous, and we are accepted in Jesus, in the beloved. Help us to see ourselves rightly so that we might see others rightly, and we might see your grace and mercy rightly. We pray these things in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.